friends, we're nearly at Easter. Easter we will break from the book of Ephesians, but we're not quite there yet, so I'm not going to break just yet. Okay, we've just started Ephesians chapter 5. It's going to be a fantastic journey through the book. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. There are a few other readings um, which I'll just highlight. So it's only there that we're going to land predominantly today. Okay, but let me, while you get your Bibles out, <laughs> tell you some stuff we do as kids. What do we do as children? We do some funny stuff sometimes. And uh, one of the funny things we used to do, uh, especially during New Year's, New Year's, it was our tradition that the family would all get together at some cousin's house or auntie's house. The cousins then would gather and would have prepared a concert for that New Year's Eve. Okay, and it would have been a, a lip sync kind of thing. So you could choose an artist. You would dress as that artist and you would sing, you know, whatever hit it was. So, you want to guess my favorite artist? I'm, I'm about nine years old now. Close, not Elvis. That was my cousin Heather. She did Elvis. Okay. Neil Diamond. Right? Johnny Cash. Okay. <laughs> that was, it was cool. Neil Diamond was my, Roy Orbison was another one. Okay. Because my parents listened to them, that's what I listened to. Uh, my brother would do Michael Jackson uh, or Elvis Presley, okay, uh, my <laughs> or Tina Turner. <laughs> In those days, it wasn't such a big deal, you know. <laughs> That's okay. All right. So, okay. So this imitation thing is what kids do, but it's not just what kids do. It's how we, we cope and navigate life. We imitate others. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. The Bible encourages us to imitate the worship of churches, imitate the character of other Christians, to imitate other Christians. Uh, and believe it or not, as you've grown in, in the Lord, you've probably been watching other Christians. You know, you're listening to them, what words they use. You know, especially when it comes to prayer. If you've learned how to pray, you learned how to pray predominantly by imitating how others have prayed. Okay, so imitation is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. Okay. But the call of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, took it to a whole nother level. Do you remember? Who are we to imitate? God. Christ, yeah. God. And last week we just tried to get our head around that astounding command, invitation. Imitate God. Imitate God. And to grasp that, we had to get our head around. And that's why you don't find this command in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Why don't you find it in Ephesians chapter... I mean, you could have just gotten to the point there, right? I, the Apostle Paul, command you, imitate God. You don't find it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, because Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3 have been telling you, you can't imitate God unless, unless God Himself... Gives you an identity exchange. Creates in you the possibility, the desire, and the hope that it will even be a reality. Isn't it staggering that you and I would be invited to do just that? Hit that bar. Amen. Hit that bar. That's what we're invited to do. Hit that bar. And only because... Of what Jesus has done for us through the gospel. We can hit that bar. Amen? Amen. Whereas before. Ephesians chapter 2 told us. You were far from that bar. You weren't even interested in that bar. You weren't even looking at that bar. Thinking that bar. Your mind was so clouded in futile thinking. You were an object of wrath. A child of, a of disobedience. So it is again staggering. What the power of God has done in a believer to overcome that nature and to put it to death. Amen? Never to resurrect again. The old man is dead as united with Christ in his death. And a new man has been given as in Christ's resurrection to new, to new life. And that now, it was the other thing we grasped last week was, it's possible. It's absolutely possible you are absolutely resourced, equipped, enabled by the power of God to reach that bar. To reach that bar. And how is it packaged? 
That bar is not just up there and you down here. You know, he's the boss, you're the employee or the appy. It's your father. It's your father and you're his child. And so that bar is packaged in love. There's a relationship there. As we, we saw fellow, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. As children. The love of God is what draws us to that bar. It's not some religious note or some, some fanatical statement that is detached or impersonal or alien from us. It is a Father God who is calling us to be like Him, walk like Him, talk like Him, be like Him in nature, in mind, in thought, in heart. Right. Now that's a wonderful thought, but what does it look like? And so Paul locks it now. He says, okay. I'm going to lock this into your view. What are you going to focus on to do that? And the first thing we're going to see this morning is Ephesians 5 verse 2. He says, and, okay, so it continues. Live a life of love, comma, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Lock onto this. And you will achieve that. What are we to lock on to? Live a life of love. Live it. So your imitation of God, your imitation of God is going to live and be living with Christ's love. Okay? Your lifestyle, your conduct, your behavior will be characterized by love. You all look at me like, what am I talking about? <laughs> you will make the effort to live a life of love. Now remember, life is a walk. It's a walk. If you tell someone you're going to go for a walk, then it is a fair assumption that you're going to go somewhere. Right? Where are you going? Well, we're going to live a life of love. I'm going towards love. And if you tell someone you're going to go for a walk, it is a fair assumption to assume some sort of progress. If you're not walking to that destination, then you're, you're relapsing or you're just doing nothing. You're not walking. So there's an assumption of a progress. There's an assumption of a destination. There's an assumption that you're going to make some effort to reach that destination. So that is our assumption. In wanting to imitate God, there's going to be an effort. There's the destination. There's going to be an effort. There's going to be progress. And those are fair assumptions by any believer on any other believer. If you say, you, you know, you follow Christ and want to imitate God, then everyone equally is measured by this. That there is some, it may be slow, that's fine, but there's still progress. You with me? If there's no intention, if there's no progress, if time has lapsed and you're still here, you're not walking. You're not living. In fact, it's regressing. So, no effort, no walking, no living in love. And what is that love? It's, it's, it's a lot of things and we'll unpack it, but it's, it's God giving His best when we deserve it the least. That's the love that we are to walk in, live in. Give others the best when they deserve it the least. And others will see that you're giving them the best when they deserve it the least. It's something that is visible, it's demonstrable, it's tangible. This imitating God stuff is not just closing your eyes, putting your hands together and, and then you're done. This imitating God stuff is very real. It's very real. It's going to involve your hands, your feet, your eyes, your attitudes, your purses, your estate, your house, your car, everything. Everything, all that you are. Now, and uh, you know, my kids can t see, they can see very apparently, it's very apparent where I'm living. If, I'm, if I see anxiety and go and go after anxiety, and I live in anxiety, it's very apparent. 
If I go after anger and I live in anger, it's very apparent. You're with me? And same. If you go after love, that love, and live in that love, it's going to be very apparent. It's going to be demonstrable. The same with impatience. So, it's living a life of love that is comparable to Christ's love. So, everything you're doing in your life has got a, a vision of Jesus. You're basically putting on Jesus' glasses and doing everything through that love. Everything is through that love. That's a huge standard. It's a brave standard. It's a courageous standard. That is the standard. And that's what God wants to do through us. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love. And Christ dying for us, that paid the penalty for us. Christ dying for us did away with sin. Christ dying for us took the old man and buried it and gave us a new man to live in and to be saved. So as you consider others, as you live with others, you consider this all the time. What did Jesus do for you? That's where your eyes must be. Especially, especially when the person you're dealing with doesn't deserve it. That's prime, prime opportunity to live a life of love. That is prime opportunity. Especially when they don't deserve it. Someone doesn't deserve that love. That's when you pause and look a little bit longer at the cross. That's when you pause and let the love of God linger a little bit longer in the mind. Now, to do that, you've got to take your eyes off the person. You've got to take your eyes off the person and look at that love a little bit longer. And then reevaluate your love to that person. That is prime opportunity to live a life of love. So moms and dads, just let it linger a little bit longer with your kids. Children, let it linger a little bit longer when you look at your parents, members of the church. Don't take your eyes off that. Let it linger a little bit longer. Reevaluate the love you have received. Reevaluate that love and allow that love to express itself. Moms and dads, children and parents, co workers, employees and employers. What's at stake? What's at stake for letting it linger a little bit longer? Imitating God. Or, as the Bible may say, shining as stars. Light and salt. Being His children. That's what we do. We make our love comparable to the love we've received in Jesus Christ. And we hold it there. And church, church, if, if our eyes come off that, this is a waste of time. Our love for each other is comparable to Jesus' love for us. Amen? Amen. Uh, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Will you have that? Will you walk in that? It may be slow. It may be hard. There may be a little bit of progress. But that's our destination. Amen? That's our destination. No matter the color, the ethnicity, the political party, the language, the age, the gender, the experience or lack of, the Bible knowledge or lack of, your cultural setting, your living status, what house you own, what car you drive, what clothes you wear, what food you eat or don't eat, whatever your, your preferences. My love for you is the same as Jesus' love for me. 
And there's no hope in a church if that's not the case. There's just no hope. Because if your love is based on any of those preferences, and we must fight this. We must fight this. It's easy to love people who speak our language. It's easy to love people who like the teams we like. And like the things we like and do the things we do and go where we want to go and have the, you know, whatever we have. That's, that's easy. But Jesus, Jesus' love is higher than that. It transcends it. It loves all things. That's the peace we've been afforded in Christ. Amen? Those barriers have been broken. And that is our hope. That is our hope. Him giving up Himself for us is our hope. That's our standard. It's a gift. We will have ample opportunity this week to imitate God and to tangibly make it seen. Ample opportunity. You don't have to be in Mozambique. You don't have to be in China in an underground church. You know, or in North Korea. God may call you there. You can be on the front line of God's mission in the dining room or in the lounge or in the car with your family or your friends or, your, or in the office. When you want, when everything is shouting at you not to express love and you lingering a bit longer on Jesus Christ and His love for you, do otherwise. Do otherwise. Give yourself to God and say, God, your will be done. That's the, that's the gift. That's the prime position. You are neglected. You are replaced. You were sinned against. You were offended. Well, we did that to Him. We offended. We replaced We neglected, we sinned against that one, and He still came for us. And He still loved us. Now, see what is above and below and all around this life of love. You are not on your own. Okay, look at the verse just behind it. We just saw last week, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. God the Father is giving us love. Right? Then it says, verse 2, And live a life of love. Here's the third one. Just as Christ loved us. So sandwiched in between our love for others is God's love and Christ's love. You can do this. We can do this. Because sandwiched in these efforts is the constant, covenantal, everlasting, never-fading, always merciful love of God. Amen? Sandwiched in this. And that is beautiful. That is a solid dose of love. Whatever is lacking, whatever was taken, whatever is needed... Whatever the injury, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, whatever the offense, and there will be. Until Jesus comes, these opportunities will come in various forms with various degrees of cost. But friends, sandwiched in that is Christ's love and God's love for your love. Church, church, in our love. Our covenantal love. Husbands with your wives and wives with your husbands. With your covenantal love. Parents to children in your covenantal love. South African citizens in your covenantal love. You are not alone. And in God, hallelujah, we have God's love and Christ's love in our love. It's not in the text, but we have the church love too. We have so much in us, around us, behind us, and before us. So, and our love needs strengthening. It needs strengthening. And you can just think now of what relationship needs a touch of God's love. 
you, you quickly do a, an audit. What love needs a touch of God? You know what that relationship is. Where do you start? Look again. Look again. We always say it. Being a Christian is not for sissies. We come to church to look again. We keep drinking the cup, we keep eating the bread, and we will never stop eat, drinking the cup, and never stop drinking the bread, and never stop looking. We will always sing a new song about this love. Because that's how we get through. And that's how we do it. Maybe the love is, is weak. Maybe the love has gone cold. Maybe the love is too familiar. Maybe the love is empty and has no trace. Maybe the love has got too many preconditions. Look to God. Because in your love is sandwiched the love of God and the love of the Father. His steadfast, the love that endures forever, His covenantal love. Friends, we can't, we can't come and look at this every week and not have love. We can't. It's hollow. You can't know this and not know love. We've said it in Ephesians chapter 3, that we may know the love of God that transcends all human understanding. And that's what we want to do, particularly as Baptists. We want to know that love. You know, theologically be accurate and in the truth and in God's word. And then it says, and to know God's love, Christ's love. Experience Christ's love. So that we may have the fullness of God. So as you know Him, may you know Him, so that you may have the fullness of God. <clears throat> Strengthened by the inner man to the Holy Spirit, of course. But commanded to imitate God nonetheless. That's what this gospel is. You know, only Jesus, only Jesus has ever said, love your enemies. No other prophet, no other religious leader, no other apostle, no other idol, no one else says that. Only Jesus says that. Love your enemies. Because that is the scope and scale of His love. That it can even love enemies. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And then He says, and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's something Paul is adding on to this. There's a, another view of God here. Thank you, Ephesians. And the other view of God, Jesus at the cross particularly, is another way to look at it. And this Easter, we will be looking at probably all the ways. It's expiation, it's appropriation. It's the wrath of God, it's the mercy of God. It's the love of God. I mean, so many things you could say about the cross of Jesus Christ, okay? Ephesians is telling us, and it's got to do with this love aspect, is that Jesus is the worshiper of God. It is a fragrant offering, he says, and a sacrifice to God. So on his mind at the cross are two things. You and me and God. You and me and God. Him at the cross is worship to God. This is worship language. Fragrant offering. A, a fragrant aroma and an offering. It's worship language. Because he's thinking about God. Friends, this loving stuff. Jesus didn't just give us a, you know, some stuff to God. What did Jesus give at the cross to God? Everything. That love. Your love, living a life of love, comparable to the love you've received through Christ, surrounded by the Father's love and the Son's love, but it's everything. It's everything. And it is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. It's nothing less than that. Yes, we came and we sang this morning. We were orderly. And we prayed together. We sang together. We're going to eat and drink together. We came around the Word together. We worshipped. And that was true. And that was good. 
But worship is you living a life of love tomorrow and the next day and the next day without a pastor, without a blue chair, without songs, without any of that attached. But you're not alone. Looking at the cross always, every day, every morning, every night, knowing that God the Father and God the Son's love is sandwiching you, you live a life of love. You surrender everything. It's not just giving some time, giving some stuff, giving some money, giving some energy. This living a life of love is everything. It's everything. It's all that Jesus was. It's all that Jesus did. And that's our template. That's our template. It's not a new thing. It was there in the Old Testament. When God said to Moses, go make a tabernacle. I've got a way, I've got an idea of worship. I need you to get across to people. This is my idea of worship. It's a tabernacle. And there'll be sacrifices and there'll be a holy of holies and there'll be a little once a year thing. Right? Then the tabernacle turned into a temple. Then there was Jesus. He is worship. I just want to read one verse in Revelation 21. It says, it's John speaking, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God had in mind Jesus all along. This is the worship I want. Living a life of love. This is the worship I want. Moses, let me get this across slowly. <laughs> Baby steps. Do a tabernacle. With animal sacrifices, with a wonderful fragrance. Alright, that's worship to me. Slowly revealing himself, slowly revealing himself, looking forward to the Redeemer. The Redeemer comes and he worships God at the cross. That was, that's God's idea all along. And so the whole of the Old Testament looked forward to that. And since then we've been looking back at that. And we will always look back at that. But friends, that is the bar. For our worship before God. And it will do us well. To be sobered by this. To be reminded by this. To be lifted to this. Because we don't trust in ourselves. Amen. We trust in God. And we're far from it. And that's okay. Because that's why we need God. And God will equip us. And God will empower us. And God will show us. He wants to be the father to his child. He wants us to live in that image. And I'm quoting here. The, the good news for us is that every sinner who turns away from their sin and believes all that Jesus did at the cross, that one will find the love of the Father and the self-giving love of the Son at the cross. So believe in the worshiper on the cross. No other worship will be accepted and be saved. And you will discover that when God saves a sinner like that on the cross, Everything changes. Everything changes. He makes you a brand new you, a new creation. And he says, imitate me and I will help you figure that out. Walk in love like Jesus. Give everything. God wants to be visible everywhere. He wants his glory seen all the time. And Ephesians has told us he is going to make his fullness known. Friends, from making coffee, to driving your car, to paying the bills, to keeping your word, telling the truth, encouraging others. That's how we make the fullness of God known and building each other up. Jesus said it another way. He said, be holy as I am holy. Live a life of love. That's what Jesus was saying. I'll close with this reading and then I'm going to pray for us. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, 
It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's pray. Uh, friends, we're nearly at Easter. Easter we will break from the book of Ephesians, but we're not quite there yet, so I'm not going to break just yet. Okay, we've just started Ephesians chapter 5. It's going to be a fantastic journey through the book. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. There are a few other readings um, which I'll just highlight. So it's only there that we're going to land predominantly today. Okay, but let me, while you get your Bibles out, tell you some stuff we do as kids. What do we do as children? We do some funny stuff sometimes. And uh, one of the funny things we used to do, uh, especially during New Year's, New Year's, it was our tradition that the family would all get together at some cousin's house or auntie's house. The cousins then would gather and would have prepared a concert for that New Year's Eve. Okay? And it would have been a, a lip sync kind of thing. So you could choose an artist, you would dress as that artist, and you would sing, you know, whatever hit it was. So, you want to guess my favorite artist? I'm, I'm about nine years old now. Close, not Elvis. That was my cousin Heather. She did Elvis. Okay. Neil Diamond. Right? Johnny Cash. Okay. <laughs> that was, it was cool. Neil Diamond was my, Roy Orbison was another one. Okay. Because my parents listened to them, that's what I listened to. Uh, my brother would do Michael Jackson uh, or Elvis Presley, okay, uh, my <laughs> or Tina Turner. <laughs> In those days, it wasn't such a big deal, you know. <laughs> That's okay. All right. So, okay. So this imitation thing is what kids do, but it's not just what kids do. It's how we, we cope and navigate life. We imitate others. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. The Bible encourages us to imitate the worship of churches, imitate the character of other Christians, to imitate other Christians. Uh, and believe it or not, as you've grown in, in the Lord, you've probably been watching other Christians. You know, you're listening to them, what words they use. You know, especially when it comes to prayer. If you've learned how to pray, you learned how to pray predominantly by imitating how others have prayed. Okay, so imitation is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. Okay. But the call of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, took it to a whole nother level. Do you remember? Who are we to imitate? God. Christ, yeah. God. And last week, we just tried to get our head around that astounding command, invitation. Imitate God. Imitate God. And to grasp that, we had to get our head around. And that's why you don't find this command in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Why don't you find it in Ephesians chapter... I mean, you could have just gotten to the point there, right? I, the Apostle Paul, command you, imitate God. Clark. You don't find it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, because Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3 have been telling you, you can't imitate God unless, unless God Himself gives you an identity exchange. Creates in you the possibility, the desire, and the hope that it'll even be a reality. Isn't it staggering that you and I would be invited to do just that? Hit that bar. Hit that bar. That's what we're invited to do. Hit that bar. And only because of what Jesus has done for us through the gospel, we can hit that bar. Amen? Whereas before, Ephesians chapter 2 told us, you were far from that bar, you weren't even interested in that bar, you weren't even looking at that bar, thinking that bar, your mind was so clouded in futile thinking, you were an object of wrath, a child of, of disobedience. So, it is again staggering what the power of God has done in a believer to overcome that nature and to put it to death. Amen? Never to resurrect again. The old man is dead as united with Christ in his death. And a new man has been given as in Christ's resurrection to new, to new life. And that now, was the other thing we grasped last week was, it's possible. It's absolutely possible 
You are absolutely resourced, equipped, enabled by the power of God to reach that bar. To reach that bar. And how is it packaged? That bar is not just up there and you down here. You know, he's the boss, you're the employee or the appy. It's your father. It's your father and you're his child. And so that bar is packaged in love. There's a relationship there. As we, we saw follow, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. As children. The love of God is what draws us to that bar. It's not some religious note or some, some fanatical statement that is detached or impersonal or alien from us. It is a Father God who is calling us to be like Him, walk like Him, talk like Him, be like Him in nature, in mind, in thought, in heart. Right. Now that's a wonderful thought, but what does it look like? And so Paul locks it now. He says, okay, I'm going to lock this into your view. What are you going to focus on to do that? And the first thing we're going to see this morning is Ephesians 5 verse 2. He says, and, okay, so it continues. Live a life of love, comma, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Lock onto this and you will achieve that. What are we to lock onto? Live a life of love. Of love. Live it. So your imitation of God, your imitation of God is going to live and be living with Christ's love. Okay? Your lifestyle, your conduct, your behavior will be characterized by love. You all look at me like, what am I talking about? <laughs> you will make the effort to live a life of love. Now remember, life is a walk. It's a walk. If you tell someone you're going to go for a walk, then it is a fair assumption that you're going to go somewhere. Right? Where are you going? Well, we're going to live a life of love. I'm going towards love. And if you tell someone you're going to go for a walk, it is a fair assumption to assume some sort of progress. If you're not walking to that destination, then you're, you're relapsing or you're just doing nothing. You're not walking. So there's an assumption of a progress. There's an assumption of a destination. There's an assumption that you're going to make some effort to reach that destination. So that is our assumption. In wanting to imitate God, there's going to be an effort. There's the destination. There's going to be an effort. There's going to be progress. And those are fair assumptions by any believer on any other believer. If you say, you, you know, you follow Christ and want to imitate God, then everyone equally is measured by this. That there is some, it may be slow, that's fine, but there's still progress. You with me? If there's no intention, if there's no progress, if time has lapsed and you're still here, you're not walking. You're not living. In fact, it's regressing. So, no effort, no walking, no living in love. And what is that love? It's, it's, it's a lot of things and we'll unpack it, but it's, it's God giving His best when we deserve it the least. That's the love that we are to walk in, live in. Give others the best when they deserve it the least. And others will see that you're giving them the best when they deserve it the least. It's something that is visible, it's demonstrable, it's tangible. This imitating God stuff is not just closing your eyes, putting your hands together and, and then you're done. This imitating God stuff is very real. It's very real. It's going to involve your hands, your feet, your eyes, your attitude, your purses, your estate, your house, your car, everything. Everything, all that you are. Now, and uh, you know, my kids can see, they can see very apparently, it's very apparent where I'm living. 
If, I'm, if I see anxiety and go, and go after anxiety and I live in anxiety, it's very apparent. If I go after anger and I live in anger, it's very apparent. You're with me? And same. If you go after love, that love, and live in that love, it's going to be very apparent. It's going to be demonstrable. The same with impatience. So, it's living a life of love that is comparable to Christ's love. So, everything you're doing in your life has got a, a vision of Jesus. You're basically putting on Jesus' glasses and doing everything through that love. Everything is through that love. That's a huge standard. It's a brave standard. It's a courageous standard. That is the standard. And that's what God wants to do through us. Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love. And Christ dying for us, that paid the penalty for us. Christ dying for us did away with sin. Christ dying for us took the old man and buried it and gave us a new man to live in and to be saved. So as you consider others, as you live with others, you consider this all the time. What did Jesus do for you? That's where your eyes must be. Especially, especially when the person you're dealing with doesn't deserve it. That's prime Prime opportunity to live a life of love. That is prime opportunity. Especially when they don't deserve it. Someone doesn't deserve that love. That's when you pause and look a little bit longer at the cross. That's when you pause and let the love of God linger a little bit longer in the mind. Now to do that, you've got to take your eyes off the person You've got to take eyes off the person and look at that love a little bit longer. And then reevaluate your love to that person. That is prime opportunity to live a life of love. So moms and dads, just let it linger a little bit longer. With your kids, children, let it linger a little bit longer when you look at your parents, members of the church. Don't take your eyes off that. Let it linger a little bit longer. Reevaluate the love you have received. Reevaluate that love and allow that love to express itself. Moms and dads, children and parents, co-workers, employees and employers. What's at stake? What's at stake for letting it linger a little bit longer? Imitating God. Or, as the Bible may say, shining as stars. Light and salt. Being His children. That's what we do. We make our love comparable to the love we've received in Jesus Christ. And we hold it there. And church, church, if, if our eyes come off that, this is a waste of time. Our love for each other is comparable to Jesus' love for us. Amen? Amen. Right, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Will you have that? Will you walk in that? It may be slow. It may be hard. There may be a little bit of progress. But that's our destination. Amen? That's our destination. No matter the color, the ethnicity, the political party, the language, the age, the gender, the experience or lack of, the Bible knowledge or lack of, your cultural setting, 
your living status, what house you own, what car you drive, what clothes you wear, what food you eat or don't eat, whatever your, your preferences. My love for you is the same as Jesus' love for me. And there's no hope in a church if that's not the case. There's just no hope. Because if your love is based on any of those preferences, and we must fight this, we must fight this. It's easy to love people who speak our language. It's easy to love people who like the teams we like. And like the things we like and do the things we do and go where we want to go and have the, you know, whatever we have. That's, that's easy. But Jesus, Jesus' love is higher than that. It transcends it. It loves all things. That's the peace we've been afforded in Christ. Amen? Those barriers have been broken. And that is our hope. That is our hope. Him giving up Himself for us is our hope. That's our standard. It's a gift. We will have ample opportunity this week to imitate God and to tangibly make it seen. Ample opportunity. You don't have to be in Mozambique. You don't have to be in China in an underground church. You know, or in North Korea. God may call you there. You can be on the front line of God's mission in the dining room or in the lounge or in the car with your family or your friends or, your, or in the office. When you want, when everything is shouting at you not to express love and you lingering a bit longer on Jesus Christ and His love for you, do otherwise. Do otherwise. Give yourself to God and say, God, your will be done. That's the, that's the gift. That's the prime position. You are neglected. You were replaced. You were sinned against. You were offended. Well, we did that to Him. We offended. We replaced We neglected, we sinned against that one, and He still came for us. And He still loved us. Now, see what is above and below and all around this life of love. You are not on your own. Okay, look at the verse just behind it. We just saw last week, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. God the Father is giving us love. Right? Then it says, verse 2, And live a life of love. Here's the third one. Just as Christ loved us. So sandwiched in between our love for others is God's love and Christ's love. You can do this. We can do this. Because sandwiched in these efforts is the constant, covenantal, everlasting, never-fading, always merciful love of God. Amen? Sandwiched in this. And that is beautiful. That is a solid dose of love. Whatever is lacking, whatever was taken, whatever is needed... Whatever the injury, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, whatever the offense, and there will be. Until Jesus comes, these opportunities will come in various forms with various degrees of cost. But friends, sandwiched in that is Christ's love and God's love for your love. Church, church, in our love. Our covenantal love. Husbands with your wives and wives with your husbands. With your covenantal love. Parents to children and your covenantal love. South African citizens in your covenantal love. You are not alone. And in God, hallelujah, we have God's love and Christ's love in our love. It's not in the text, but we have the church love too. We have so much in us, around us, behind us, and before 
So, and our love needs strengthening. It needs strengthening. And you can just think now of what relationship needs a touch of God's love. You, you quickly do a, an audit. What love needs a touch of God? You know what that relationship is. Where do you start? Look again. Look again. We always say it. Being a Christian is not for sissies. We come to church to look again. We keep drinking the cup, we keep eating the bread, and we will never stop eat, drinking the cup, and never stop drinking the bread, and never stop looking. We will always sing a new song about this love. Because that's how we get through. And that's how we do it. Maybe the love is, is weak. Maybe the love has gone cold. Maybe the love is too familiar. Maybe the love is empty and has no trace. Maybe the love has got too many preconditions. Look to God. Because in your love is sandwiched the love of God and the love of the Father. His steadfast, the love that endures forever, His covenantal love. Friends, we can't, we can't come and look at this every week and not have love. We can't. It's hollow. You can't know this and not know love. We've said it in Ephesians chapter 3, that we may know the love of God that transcends all human understanding. And that's what we want to do, particularly as Baptists. We want to know that love, you know, theologically be accurate and in the truth and in God's word. And then it says, and to know God's love, Christ's love. Experience Christ's love. So that we may have the fullness of God. So as you know Him, may you know Him. So that you may have the fullness of God. <clears throat> Strengthened by the inner man to the Holy Spirit, of course. But commanded to imitate God nonetheless. That's what this gospel is. You know, only Jesus, only Jesus has ever said, love your enemies. No other prophet, no other religious leader, no other apostle, no other idol, no one else says that. Only Jesus says that. Love your enemies. Because that is the scope and scale of His love. That it can even love enemies. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And then he says, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's something Paul is adding on to this. There's a, another view of God here. Thank you, Ephesians. And the other view of God, Jesus at the cross particularly, is another way to look at it. And this Easter... We will be looking at probably all the ways. It's expiation, it's appropriation. It's the wrath of God, it's the mercy of God. It's the love of God. I mean, so many things you could say about the cross of Jesus Christ, okay? Ephesians is telling us, and it's got to do with this love aspect, is that Jesus is the worshiper of God. It is a fragrant offering, he says, and a sacrifice to God. So on his mind at the cross are two things. You and me and God. You and me and God. Him at the cross is worship to God. This is worship language. Fragrant offering. A, a fragrant aroma and an offering. It's worship language. Because he's thinking about God. Friends, this loving stuff, Jesus didn't just give us a, you know, some stuff to God. What did Jesus give at the cross to God? Everything. That love. Your love, living a life of love, comparable to the love you've received through Christ, surrounded by the Father's love and the Son's love, but it's everything. It's everything. And it is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. 
It's nothing less than that. Yes, we came in, we sang this morning. We were orderly. And we prayed together, we sang together, we're going to eat and drink together. We came around the Word together, we worshipped. And that was true, and that was good. But worship is you living a life of love tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, without a pastor, without a blue chair, without songs, without any of that attached. But you're not alone, looking at the cross always, every day, every morning, every night, knowing that God the Father and God the Son love is sandwiching you you live a life of love you surrender everything it's not just giving some time giving some stuff giving some money giving some energy this living a life of love is everything it's everything it's all that jesus was it's all that jesus did and that's our template that's our template it's not a new thing. It was there in the Old Testament. When God said to Moses, go make a tabernacle. I've got a way. I've got an idea of worship. I need you to get across to people. This is my idea of worship. It's a tabernacle. And there'll be sacrifices. And there'll be a holy of holies. And there'll be a once a year thing. Right? And the tabernacle turned into a temple. Then there was Jesus. He is worship. I just want to read one verse in Revelation 21. Twenty-two. It says, it's John speaking, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God had in mind Jesus all along. This is the worship I want. Living a life of love. This is the worship I want. Moses, let me get this across slowly. <laughs> Baby steps. Do a tabernacle with animal sacrifices, with a wonderful fragrance. Alright, that's worship to me. Slowly revealing himself, slowly revealing himself, looking forward to Redeemer. The Redeemer comes and he worships God at the cross. That was, that's God's idea all along. And so the whole of the Old Testament looked forward to that. And since then, we've been looking back at that. And we will always look back at that. But friends, that is the bar for our worship before God. And it will do us well to be sobered by this, to be reminded by this, to be lifted to this. Because we don't trust in ourselves. Amen? We trust in God. And we're far from it. And that's okay. Because that's why we need God. And God will equip us, and God will empower us, and God will show us. He wants to be the father to his child. He wants us to live in that image. And I'm quoting out the, the good news for us is that every sinner who turns away from their sin and believes all that Jesus did at the cross, that one will find the love of the father and the self-giving love of the son at the cross. So believe in the worshiper on the cross. No other worship will be accepted and be saved. And you will discover that when God saves a sinner like that on the cross, everything changes. Everything changes. He makes you a brand new you, a new creation. And he says, imitate me and I will help you figure that out. Walk in love like Jesus. Give everything. God wants to be visible everywhere. He wants his glory seen all the time. And Ephesians has told us he is going to make his fullness known. Friends, from making coffee, to driving your car, to paying the bills, to keeping your word, telling the truth, encouraging others, that's how we make the fullness of God known. And building each other up. Jesus said it another way. He said, be holy as I am holy. Live a life of love. That's what Jesus was saying. I'll close with this reading, and then I'm going to pray for us. Love is patient, and love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. 
It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's pray.